Welcome to the Wild Goose Chase podcast. I'm John, and I'm joined by my awesome co-host, Allison. Welcome to the conversation where we talk all about the adventures of life and leadership. We don't always know what we're doing or where we're going. We're just trying to enjoy the adventure. Well, welcome, everybody. What is going on today? Allison, how are we? I'm doing great. Great? Yeah. This is episode two of the Wild Goose Chase podcast. Today, we're talking all about student ministry. So I'm pretty excited about that. going to be an awesome conversation today. How do we connect with, how do we reach, how do we help grow and mobilize middle school and high school students specifically? They're a tough bunch. Awesome guest today. We're going to be joined by Dan Dodd. He's going to jump in with us here in a little bit, but... I want to give a special shout out to all of our friends from Christ Church Camden. That is where we pastor. It's and true. And those are the people we are really trying to uh, help get an inside look on what's happening for us and our stories. And it is an awesome mid-80s, probably a high likelihood of rain today. It rains every day. A couple tropical day. storms in the lineup. But we're hanging out in southeast Georgia. But welcome to anybody else today who's jumping in. And joining the conversation, student ministry, that is something we both have in common. It is. Yep. It's part of our story on how we actually ended up where we are today. So let's just talk about it a little bit, our experiences for a few minutes, and then we'll bring Dan in. Dan is uh, fresh. Dan is our new student pastor here at Christ Church. Been in here about, what, two, two weeks, weeks maybe? probably? Yeah. yeah, two weeks. And so we'll be excited to talk about his story. And one of the things we do on the podcast is answer the question, how did you get here? How'd you get here? We'll ask Dan. Dan, how did you get here? So excited about that. Student ministry. Well, I did it for several years, way back in the 90s and early 2000s. It was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. It was, it was, <laughs> it was actually a year or two pre-internet. Like I didn't send, oh. I actually didn't even send my first email probably till, oh man, 90. Six, 96, 97, I was trying to invite, uh, I got in charge of some youth convention in Oklahoma and I was trying to invite somebody to come and speak. And so the secretary had to help me send an email to him. What did you do before that? Send pigeons? I was, ne- I was never in charge of anything. Well, that's fair. <laughs> so yeah, student ministry. Interesting to see some of the changes mm-hmm. in my opinion, because now that I've been around a while, I not only did it, but then I've worked with churches and other student pastors. And now I have a son who's a student pastor. Shout out Jordan. Yeah, Jordan. Yeah, interesting to see some of the changes over the years, not only in approach and strategy, just how we we do ministry, but I'm, I'm intrigued now. As I get older, I'm having to actually learn more from other people like you and Dan on what is the, what are students like today even? And there are some things that are always the same, but what, what's it like to grow up in, you know, today's culture? Right. The moral navigate, compass has, has yeah, shifted. Navigate all that stuff. So, yeah. I mean, I got into student ministry in officially 2006. Prior to that, I was doing some FCA, like huddle coaching and some stuff like that. But in 2006, I started, I mean, I did an internship out at Saddleback out in California. And I don't know, it was just a completely different time. And the model out there very much was, Big, big crowds, big, large group, big, entertaining, energetic, you know, relevant, let's make this the best night of their week kind of deal, big service, and then small group out of that. 
Um, when I first got out there, they were making the big switch from area Bible studies where they would kind of group people in areas and it'd be gender. Both genders would be there. There'd be several small groups in one location. Um, and it was more about maybe the schools they attended because there's a lot of, a lot of schools out there. And we, we made the shift while I was there to going to more gender specific, more of a Bible study and less of like a fun hangout. And so that shift was happening while I was out there and it was it was right in my alley because I definitely leaned more towards relational youth ministry, especially at that point in my life. I was way down on the totem pole of leadership. And so I, my task was just my small group girls. And that was easy. Like here's 15 high school girls that were pretty, pretty rad girls. And I just got to hang out with them. And that, that was the job was getting these girls lives, show up at their stuff, be present. And that makes you a great youth pastor, you know? And, and I had, I had some, some stuff to do. I mean, the way they structure their internship out there is very smart. You basically, it's a two-year commitment and you do six months of kind of different environments. You do six months with groups, six months programming, six months with student leadership, six months with something else, event planning maybe. And so you just kind of rotate through those things. And so I had some experience with, with programming, um, but it was definitely people above me that were kind of making those big choices of how do we actually do the service and, and what makes it relevant to students. So, I mean, uh, we touched on some of just our own like journey, how we ended up doing what we're doing today. But like, I'm always interested, like specific to student ministry, like why that? Like, how did you mm-hmm. ended up? How did you end up doing that? Yeah. So we talked about it a little bit last week, but for me, it was because of the people who invested in me. I wanted to invest in others and do for other students what had been done for me, the model that was set for me, the example. And looking back over when I was a student in youth group, going, I don't remember one thing that was ever taught. I don't. I don't remember a single sermon. I don't remember a single message. I, I just don't remember any of that. But I remember these people showing up at my ball games. I remember them showing up at soccer games. I remember going over to their house for dinner. Like, I remember hanging out. And so that's the kind of, when I was on a youth staff, that's the kind of person that I wanted to be. And then um, went out there and tried to duplicate it. And then got to the point where it's like, man, when you're, in, when you're in charge, which is where the next place I moved to, I was on the pastoral staff, so I was in some more leadership. It became, how do you be relational without playing favorites? How do you invest in this group of students without neglecting all of the other students that you're responsible for? And I remember pretty early on in my um, my time at my previous job of going, okay, well, I'm just going to hang out with anybody. And so I, I definitely made a shift in my relational ministry going, because I'm the only female pastor on staff for our student ministry, I can't just hang out with these students. I have to hang out with all the students. And because I can't do that, I just won't hang out with any and it was a big shift for me. It was a big, it was a big um, emotional shift for me because that's why I got into student ministry. So I had to learn to lead at 10,000 feet instead of leading at 10 feet. Well, even when I go way back to the, the mid nineties and think about, you know, my days in student ministry, it was highly relational. Right. You know, it was where are students at? How do we find them? How do we hang out with them? And to, to realize that that was part of the job was pretty cool thing. You know, Absolutely. like I get to go to ball games and, um, you know, play basketball with kids and, and do that kind of thing. Um, so that, that was always like an appeal to me because as a guy who was, you know, I did, I did a year, 14 months really as, we didn't know this term at the time, as a lead pastor. Right. And then I was like, ah, oh, man, I, I'm going to do something else. I want to do something easier and more fun. And so I chose student chose ministry. Student ministry. <laughs> yeah. And um, I thought, you know, as a guy who's 25 years old, it was relatively um, easier to connect with students for me at that age. And I just thought, this is more fun, you know. So the relational piece, you know, one of the exercises we used to always do or lead people through 
um, back in the day in training was, you know, you think about five sermons or messages that you can remember in your life that impacted you. And people have a hard time doing that. You might remember one, you know, right. where you, you know, you accepted Jesus or one where you made a life-changing decision, but then you flip it and you say, well, tell me about five people who have left an impact on your life. And then people can quickly connect the dots and go, okay, yeah, relationships really do matter, right. especially in student ministry. And so um, for me, it was just like, okay, the difficult thing, let's, let's go here for a second. The difficult thing, because I think a lot of student pastors are a little younger, is how do we, how do we actually give counsel and advice to students when we're only a few years removed from them? Which is funny now, because now I turned 50 this year, and I have relationships with all these past students on Facebook. I mean, a number of them, I performed their wedding and, you know, now they're having kids and I'm looking at them, Chris and you know, my wife, Chris and I were looking at them going, wait, I always thought they were so much younger than me, but they're really only five years younger than me at yeah. this point, you know, because now we've aged up. It's like, okay, I was, what was I doing back then? Like, how was I trying to give counsel to these people, let alone their parents? Right. The parents is tricky. I mean, my first, so I was 22 and my small group girls were seniors in high school. So they were 17, 18, you know, not far removed, even like stage of life, let alone age. And I think for me, especially when I lived out in California, I did not have clear boundaries with students as far as relationships go. Like we were friends. We weren't, it, it was much easier to be their friend. And I think I transitioned to some of that in, in my old church in Savannah as well of going, these are my peers. These are my friends because I was so young and wasn't able, wasn't able, especially those first couple of years to, to make sure those boundaries were appropriate and were these are not my friends. These are people I'm, I'm leading. And what does that look like when you're actually trying to do relational ministry? I want them in my house. I want them hanging out. I want them around, you know, my family. I want them in, in my house. And so what does that look like for somebody who's not related to you, especially in our world these days where, you know, it's hard to get, it's hard to trust people, you know? And so it was a big shift for me, for sure. Mm -hmm. Making that shift of, no, I am older than I act or think I am. <laughs> I, have, I have a very specific memory. I was, I was probably 29 years old when a, a father in our student ministry called me up and he said, hey, I, we're, just at, we're at the end of our rope with our kid. You know, he's 16. You know, we've tried everything. You know, we've, everything you can think of, we don't know what to do. What should we do? And at the end of the conversation over the phone, I, I recommended that they send him to military school. And sure oh. enough, that's, exa that's exactly what they did. And now I'm looking back on that going like, what gave me the, wh where were my qualifications to actually say, you need to send that kid to military school. And, you know, whether that was a, the right thing or not, it definitely did turn out in the end that that's what he needed. I was like, did it turn out? Yeah, it turned I mean, out great. The end and, of you know, that story? Father and son, they're best friends to this day. And I'm actually friends with them as well. Um, so it was just, it's just interesting to think back and go, man, mm. It's, it's just a, it's a tough place to be when you, yeah. you want to be the person who connects with students. And sometimes we, I think we assume that younger people can do it better. Sure. You can relate. But then like now in the age where we're trying to actually lead volunteers mm -hmm. to do it, and now we're trying to actually have a ministry to parents to help them disciple their kids. It's just, it could be a really tricky thing, I think, for for student pastors. Absolutely. I mean, I was 26-ish when I moved to um, Savannah and stepped in front of this leader meeting to lead all these volunteers who were, some of them were twice my age, had been doing student ministry way longer than I had. And I remember standing in front of them going, what in the world do I have to offer 
these people and, and feeling really insecure in my feeling very confident in my leadership of students, but very insecure in my leadership of adults going, I'm 26. I don't have kids. I don't, what in the world do I have to offer these people who have been doing student ministry for 20 years? And I'm going to step up and go, Hey, here's how you do it. When I don't know if we were ever right, you know, it's ever evolving for sure. Yeah. Well, one of the things we're going to talk to Dan about here in a minute is, you know, for me, like I feel like one of the reasons, not the only reason, one of the reasons I stepped into student ministry was because not not only students, do I feel like students were responding to uh, spiritual things or the gospel in ways that adults weren't. Like I felt like we could get there faster with a student than we could an adult. Sure. They just like rip their chest open and say, here it is, you know, like, here's everything I'm dealing with. And, and I just thought that was, that was, um, I saw more fruit there that way. But the other thing was, I saw that it was a pathway to more experimentation Oh yeah. in terms of how we do church. Absolutely. And the things that we wanted to see happen in our big church, hey, we can make them happen in student ministry. Right. I remember having a list of, these are songs that we, these are worship songs we can <laughs> exactly. do in student ministry, but no, don't do that in, in big church. Like, don't mm-hmm. do that over there. And now the list, well, I would imagine the list has merged. Yeah, because back in my day, you got to think, you know, 25 years ago, we're taking kids to a conference and it's just blowing their mind. Right. There's a band down there. And lyrics are projected on a screen. You know, that was new for a lot of kids. Go rushing the stage. And the, the, the problem back then was we would go to these big conferences and they would experience these fantastic worship moments and high caliber speakers. And then, you know, in two days, we're back in our church and they're going, this sucks. Like, so you on a keyboard? If that, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, man, what happened? And so it, at least a lot of organizations that were putting on student events and summer conferences did get to the point where they were able to say, hey, this is not real ministry. Right. This is this is different. This is the mountaintop. But yeah, I just remember that where, man, there's a lot of things we want to happen in big church and it just seemed easier to execute it with students. And nobody ever questioned like what we were doing. Oh gosh, no, I did as some long as we're hanging out stuff. with our students, you know. Oh, those are just that's just the student ministry. We broke stuff. We actually had a body go through a wall yep. around here. That's happened. I've done all kinds of crazy stuff that I'm like, why did no one ever ask me what I was thinking? Right. They just let well, me do partly, it. And, and some of it depends on who your supervisor sure. is, right? Your lead pastor and however your your church is governed, if they're constantly saying, man, you spilled something in the auditorium or right. we just put a, a body through a wall. Like my view is like, where else would we rather have those kids be right Absolutely. now? Absolutely. Like they could be doing any number of things right now, but they just went through a wall. How awesome mm-hmm. is that? Because that means they were here, you Absolutely. know? Absolutely. <laughs> and we didn't kill them for it. Because that's, I mean, that's something that I have always tried real hard. There are a lot of mistakes in youth ministry, whether they're our mistakes, adult volunteers' mistakes, students making mistakes. There's a lot of mistakes that just happen because I think we are trying a lot of new things and we are dealing with a lot of flawed people and there's a lot of just emotion involved, you know? And so... I've always tried to handle mistakes really well of not being the person that flies off the handle when the body goes through the wall, not being the, not being the person that bites off a student's head when they fly my $2,000 drone into a sign the night before an event, like being the person who goes, Hey, this is what grace looks like in the middle of this. It's the volunteer who says the wrong thing to the student because they got caught up in the moment and says, man, this is what grace looks like. We want all these people here. So let's show them. This is a perfect practice ground for showing them like this is this is radical grace. No, you put your body through a wall and you ran and didn't tell us about it. But guess what? We want you to come back next week because we, we care about you that much. And so I think that's why 
I still do love student ministry so much as there is that room. If an adult went through a wall, it would be a whole different conversation, church leadership-wise. But the fact that a student was having so much fun, they went through a wall, nobody even questioned it. We just, hey, let's fix the wall, and we moved right on. Right. And that, I think that's so unique to, to student ministry, because even in kids' ministry, I think it would be different. It'd be, well, why weren't they being supervised? Where were the parents? Right. And student ministry, it's like, heck yeah, a kid went through a wall. <laughs> let's patch the wall. Yeah. Now, one of the things, too, I think everybody's trying to figure out now, this is church-wide, but specific to student ministry, is programming. Oof, yeah. how, how, what, what do we do? Yeah. I mean, we got the relational piece, but like, what are we funneling them through? Some kind of a... a pro- I, I, here's the deal. I you think tell back us to, yours. Yeah, I think back to when I was doing programming, and this is back in the day when we would have your average kid, okay? You're just your average student, and they're already going to come to church worship on a Sunday morning but we're also doing Sunday school. Yeah. And so the way we were doing Sunday school, which I thought, man, this is this is the best junior high Sunday school ever. It's you know? revolutionary. We got, we got 40 kids down in the basement and we had built out this room, you know, where it was like uh, amphitheater seating. And so we're just, you know, we got donuts down there and adults are mingling and it, it's pretty cool. We got music going and, <laughs> you know, we got the fun game. But then when it came to time to teach, I was teaching it straight up like I would an adult class. And students, like we had got to the point where they're taking notes, you know, they're engaged. There wasn't a lot of horsing around. And, and so I was like, man, this, this is great. And then we go to Sunday night. We got a Sunday night program, which was every week, you know, it, it's, uh, it was highly invitational. Hey, this uh-huh. is the time to bring your friends. But it, it got down to where, um, man, every couple of months, you know, you're planning a calendar of events, Absolutely. So we got bowling on this night, and we got miniature golf on that night. And this night, we're playing egg games at the park. And this night, this is back in the day when coffee shops were starting to spring up. So we would <laughs> we would set up our own coffee shop and have somebody come and, you know, play music and yeah. and games. And I was like, every Sunday night. Well, then there's Wednesday night, and that was small group night. You know, that's discipleship. And so now we're expecting kids to come for four different things every week. And then you got weekend retreats, you got, you know, the midwinter, stuff like that. You got summer camps. Um, it's just a lot. It's a whole lot. A lot of programming. But we were doing, <laughs> I remember back in the day, we're doing, you know, trying some Sunday night worship, you know, at times. And we're playing CDs. We're playing background <laughs> tracks What's on a, a boombox over in a corner. <laughs> What's a boombox? Uh, over in the corner somewhere. And we're thinking, man, we're killing it. Nobody else is doing music. Off a of boombox, yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, my programming experience was definitely, I mean, it was purpose-driven youth ministry because that's what I was trained under. So it was very much you bring kids into a, a bumping environment where as soon as they step through their door, their guard is down because they hear something they recognize. I mean, that was like ingrained into my head was the walk-in music has to send a certain vibe. It has to send a certain message. It has to meet that kid who has just come in your door for the first time who maybe has never stepped foot in church before make them go, oh, this is cool. Like, this doesn't maybe feel like what I would have expected from church. And then always something fun, a game on stage, something that makes kids say that's gross or that's entertaining or something that, again, just takes takes the barrier down a bit. So I was very much brought up with the the very, the very specific programming of a game, three songs, a message, a closing, see you next week kind of thing, where all eyes were attuned to the stage and what was happening on the stage and... And so that's how I that's how I really structured my whole ministry coming up was 
how many kids can we pack into this room because of how, I don't want to say entertaining, but it's really the only word I can come up with. Like, can we entertain them on the top to like hit them in the chest with some truth in the middle and then close it out and say, okay, we'll see you next week. And then they bring their friends back next week. I mean, that was the, that was the mess. That was the method was make them laugh, make them, make them do something, hit them with some truth that is relevant to their life. That is, is meeting them right where they are and then give them enough information to come back the following week and bring a friend with them. And so very much was all about how big of a crowd can I build? You know, how, how big of, how many students can we pack in this room? Can we break some fire codes? Can we push it to where we have to put out more chairs? Can we push our church to build us a bigger building? Can we push a kid through a wall? Can we push a kid through a wall? Can we, I mean, so that's where my programming brain has always been the bigger the game, the bigger the event, the crazier the thing so that I mean, my mentality was always, what can we do on the stage that will get a student to put their, get their cell phone out, take a video of it and put it on Instagram or TikTok or something, whatever's the relevant thing at the time that their friends then see and go, man, I want to go to that. And so that was kind of our mentality is what can we, what can we do on a Wednesday night that makes people go, other students go, I, I should have been there. And because I wasn't, I'm going to go next week. And well, you brought that here when you came here to do student ministry, because this church is, you know, 13 years old, but right. has relatively strong history, at least in the last half dozen or so right. of student ministry. And that was a model that worked Absolutely. for a time. Yeah. So we, when I got here, we were running 25, 30 teenagers. Um, and within a couple of years, we, man, we were busting at the seams. And it was all, when I got here, I cut everything except our program and said, let's just, let's do this really well. Let's do this really consistently. Let's make Wednesday nights at Christ Church Camden the place to be seen on a Wednesday night for, for teenagers. And we did that. I mean, we... Hands down, we did it, but we did it at the expense of giving volunteers a real role um, because they just became part of our crowd, too. Like, they became crowd control. They weren't ministering to students. I mean, we put some things in place like a check-in where it was face-to-face where they might learn a student's name at the door. But once that service started, once that countdown hit zero, everything was about what was happening on the stage and not what was happening in the chairs. And so we did it at that expense, and then we built such a big crowd, we didn't know any students. I mean, we didn't. We didn't know them. And for some reason, this church in particular has the strangest dynamic I've ever seen in a, in a youth ministry is at that time, probably 90% of our students didn't actually come to church here. They just came to our student ministry. And so at some point it became taxing on our church going, how do we continue paying for 600 kids, 500 kids when they don't, they don't give, they don't contribute to our church. Their parents don't contribute to our church. So our people are footing the bill for this youth ministry that has become an outreach opportunity, mm-hmm. not a student ministry. And it, I mean, it got crazy. And then it got... Even like a year and a half ago, though, we made some intentional moves to, yeah, to try to, to do it, it a little bit differently. So to me, it's just like the constant change of right. programming and strategy. Like as a church, you know, we've had to go through that too, especially now because we're getting ready to do bring student ministry back Right. I mean, it yeah. will the, the first time back will have already happened by the time people listen to this. Right. And so uh, that's going to be tomorrow as yeah. of this recording. Well, I think the question is always church-wide, student ministry-wise, how are we measuring success? Mm-hmm. And, and for me, I was always told success is a big number. Like that's the, you're a good student pastor if you can pack a room and if you can make that thing grow. Like that's the measure of success. And I think... For me, a couple of years ago, that measure changed significantly. It became, have we sent students out into the world prepared for college? Have we sent students out into the world prepared for the world? Like, have we done that? And the answer for us 
in particular was no. We we built a crowd at the expense of building deep, and I think it can be done both at the same time. We just didn't do it. We yeah. those and that's even, where we pivoted. But those are conversations we're even having as a larger church. Absolutely. And something about COVID, you know, the last six months really accelerated those conversations where, you know, we haven't met. Our student ministry hasn't met since March, February, probably. March, yeah, February, March. Maybe yeah. February. Mm-hmm. So we don't even really know what we're dealing with no at this idea. point. At least in our area, school's back in session. There's a lot of kids who are actually in the classroom. Right. In person. And so that makes it a little bit easier for us to make that decision to go back and start meeting. Right. And um, so I, I'm interested to see kind of what the result is, you know, like what is the number of students that come back? Sure. What What is really the right strategy going to be now? Yeah, because I think everybody's asking the question, when our building was stripped away, where were our people spiritually? And so how much were they depending upon our building as their spiritual growth versus their own relationship with Jesus. And I think we're having to answer that as adult church leadership. And now we're having to answer to students of when the service is stripped away, what are we left with? And I think that's what we were sending out into college was our building was stripped away from those seniors that graduated. And where were they? They weren't prepared. They weren't ready. And so I think everybody's pivoting and I'm sure we'll continue to pivot, you know, as we tread through this thing in new territory and go, what, what do we do now? Yeah. I think we pivoted during COVID. It's going to be a different word for what happens next. So it's going to be Can't more wait. than a pivot. It's like, it's like a U-turn. Yeah. So, all right. Well, Dan, let's, let, let's welcome Dan in. Can we do that? We, we can do welcome that? Dan. All right, Dan, Dodd, Dan, how you doing? What's up? I'm, I'm pretty good this yeah. morning. I've had a lot of coffee, which yeah. means my morning's going great. All right. I expect you to be energetic to be on it today. Dan, as we said, has just located here in the beautiful area of Southeast Georgia, coastal district of the United States, and um, loves- Those are big words you just used. I just that made was it amazing. all up. Yeah, I was um, going to say, is that true? Are we know. a coastal I, district? We are. I mean- It sounds right. We're a couple of miles from the ocean. Trademark. So, I mean, Dan loves golf, perfect area, and we've been out a couple of times. Probably a conversation for another day. Um, I did not we should do. Well. We should do like pastors play golf podcast. That would be pretty I'm down with that. Pretty fun too. Something like that. Two weeks ago, you rolled into town. And so one of the questions that we're asking ourselves, and we will continue to ask over the course of the podcast is how did you get here? Like, how'd you end up here? That that's the, that's where the wild goose chase comes into play. So give us just a quick, a quick rundown of who is Dan Dodd? Like, where'd you come from? How'd you end up here? Yeah, sure. So I was born and raised uh, in upstate New York, which is contrary to popular opinion, not the same as Southeast Georgia. It's a little bit different. Okay, yeah, um, I learned that quickly. Um, with my dad being a pastor since well before I was born and being super faithful and at the same church, and my mom teaching in my Christian school, and so I grew up that church kid where I think the first Sunday after I was born, I was in church. Um, I was the fifth kid of their family, so they just handed me right off. They didn't bother. I mean, dad, dad is still there, right? Correct. I mean, shout outs to dad who uh, That's a legacy. stayed at the same place for <laughs> That's what I'm saying. 20 some years. Hopefully I can do something like that. Um, your math's not great. That's like 40 years. But <laughs> I mean, you're 20 something. That's all oh, okay. I was doing. But I was like 78. You got to take some math. Um, no. Yeah. So I grew up there. I went to school. Um, my main this I'm not proud of this, but my main motivation for where I went to school was to play basketball. Yeah. It gets easier when God makes you the height that I am. How tall are you, Dan? I'm six foot seven. 
I'm five foot one, so we make quite the scene. <laughs> yeah, I make sure to keep you at a distance when we talk <laughs> so that I don't have to make you feel I'm five short. foot one with shoes on. I, there's a common thing I do where I see someone walk by and I go, man, that dude's tall. And then I will do this thing where I'll have Michelle watch and I'll walk creepily up next to them and stand up straight and see if who's taller. <laughs> and more than not, I'm taller. And I walk away going, I'm a monster. <laughs> um, but anyway. Gentle. You're a gentle. Gentle giant. Gentle giant. Yeah. Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you. You carry your six foot seven well, though. You don't, you're not like lanky. You're not. That's true. I have hand-eye coordination. Yeah. That's that's one thing I'm thankful for. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so anyway, uh, grew up in upstate New York. I went to school near Scranton, Pennsylvania, just north of there, um, where I watched The Office constantly and looked at things that they were shooting. In fact, there is a scene in the ninth season of The Office where Jim and Pam go to State Street Grill for a Valentine's Day lunch. I was a busboy at State Street Grill. Oh, wow. Wow. Claim to fame. They did not film it in the restaurant. Everyone was very upset. It's a cool factoid right there. I'm going to write that down for later. Yeah. So anyway, I played basketball there, and um, it was a Bible college. It's where my parents went and my sister went, and it was just an easy place for me to go. And I knew the basketball coach well, and I knew that I could play there, and I knew that it would be good for me. And so my decision was based on basketball and I was like, you know what, Being a studying youth ministry, studying student ministry, that'll be fun. That was literally my thought was I can play basketball and I can study something that seems like it would be fun. Um, and then God, it, you know, works things out. And that while I was there, it just my passion for that grew a lot. And I realized I'm very thankful that even though I came here probably for the wrong reason, which was to play basketball, that it worked out and God made it work for me because uh, my passion just grew. And I realized, man, the fact that my job could be to hang out with students and point them to Jesus. What else? Why would I pick anything else? Um, so I graduated from there, and my wife and I, her name's Michelle, we got married. Um, She's cool. So this is like 2014 now. Um, and we moved right after we graduated. We got married, and we moved. We had a crazy summer. Graduated, got married, and moved to North Carolina. And I interned at a church in Cary, North Carolina, Um and got to go to a couple of UNC basketball games, so it was just a great time for me. Just a great you, time in my life. When you lived in Cary, did you ever hear the acronym that Cary stands for, Containment Area for Relocated Yankees? I sure did, Which yeah. is exactly what you did. It, it's exactly what I did. Um, yeah, weird. no one— How do you know that? Because I lived there for a while. Yeah, <laughs> that's, how we, that's how we got here. Strange but, facts no, of the day with John. <laughs> it's rare you meet someone there who's like, yeah, I was born here. It's always like, oh, we're from Connecticut. We're from Massachusetts. I wonder we're why. From New Jersey. Uh, just there, there's yeah, just a ton of people moving in there <laughs> for tech jobs and you got universities and things like that. And people want to be close to winning basketball like Duke and UNC. I saw that coming. UNC. Anyway, yeah, we had a great. Um, I ended up being there for two years, and we had a great time. And um, I learned a ton just getting to work with some really awesome people and making and building a ton of awesome relationships. And then uh, from there. I had my first full-time job in student ministry. Um, we moved to Cincinnati um, in 2016, and I was there for f- almost four years, just short of four years. Um, and again, got to experience my first time being the guy that it's my responsibility to handle and walk through this ministry. And uh, even though I probably dropped the ball a lot, like it was an awesome thing to learn and to walk and grow through that. Um, so really thankful for that. And then a lot of things moved, and, and we ended up moving to southeast Georgia now. So, mm-hmm. And hey. now I sweat Let's, every time I step outside the door. Somebody <laughs> described it the other day as our weather right now is like a dog breathing on you. I'm like, that, that is insanely That feels accurate. right because it's warm and it feels right. And you're welcome for that illustration. Yeah. Now I'm creeped out every time I step outside. Yeah, like a dog breathing on you. 
So let's go back to just the how you ended up in the student ministry part. Um, I, I know one of the things that you said a second ago is, I think, really good perspective for people to have. Like, you know, I think high schoolers are graduating and they don't know what they want to do with their life. And I've totally recommended to many people, go to a Bible college or a Christian college, hang out for a year, learn some good basics that you can add to your life, you know, instead of, or maybe it's the gap year, whatever it is, but you're essentially doing the same thing. You're, you're hanging out in a place where you can buy some time and try to listen to God. And that's what happened for me. That's what happened for me. Yep. And so it sounds like that might be what happened to you. I mean, any uh, any particulars on why student ministry? Was it really just that looks fun? And Yeah, I so I was I remember being a senior in high school and I basically had boiled it down to three options for myself. Um, I really loved the medical side of how God made us. And I thought that was just insanely cool how our body worked and all the ridiculously crazy things that happened for me just to move my arm, you know. And so but I looked at it and I was like, I don't love school and I don't think I want to go through what it you have to go through to be a doctor. And so I was trying to look at maybe being like a PA, like a physician's assistant. Um, but then it boiled down to me, okay, if I'm going to do that, where can I do that and play basketball? Because basketball was my motivation. And I was like, I don't know a school where I can do that. I'm sure there were, but I was maybe too lazy to look them up. I don't know. <laughs> um, and so I just, I knew going to this Bible college was the easy way because I had so many aunts, uncles, cousins, parents who went there. And I thought my last name is Dodd, no matter what my application says, they'll just hit accept. Um, and so I think I was just weighing, but in my head and I knew, man, I, basketball. And, but just again, like I thought to myself, that sounds like a fun job. It sounds like an impactful job where my job will mean something. Um, because by this time as a senior in high school, you know, I got, I got saved when I was a young kid, but by this time as a senior in high school, I actually had a desire to walk and follow Jesus. It wasn't just like, well, I go to church with my parents. It had become a, I do want to follow Jesus. And this seems like a job where I can actually impact people and make a difference. And people would always be like, oh, so is your goal, like become a, a lead pastor? Like people still ask you that, you know, you guys know as a youth pastor, student pastor somewhere, that's the, when are you going to get, take the next step and be promoted? It's like, no. And my thought was always, I would much rather deal with the drama and problems of a 16-year-old than the drama and the problems of someone who's 40. No that doubt. was, that was my motivation. So you, tomorrow night, you got your first, your first event here. What, what, um, I mean, like what's going through your mind? What's, uh, man, you feel prepared? You feel like you You can tell the truth, Dan. This is a safe space. Okay. No, I don't. Because I think I think anytime we're coming back after a long absence with anything, I mean, we've reopened here. We've been open a little bit for Sunday morning worship, but we still didn't really know what to expect. Yeah, I have no idea what to expect. I I'm so pumped to be here and so pumped that God brought us here, and I still have yet to see like what does this student ministry look like? Like what is what is this Southeast Georgia Christ Church Camden? What is chaos? You know what we call it. What does that look like? And I, I've gotten to meet some kids. I've gotten to meet some leaders. And, man, they're all awesome, and I'm just super excited. But I just I am chomping at the bit to be able to go, like, that's what it looks like. like that's what it feels like. And so I'm so excited for tomorrow, like so pumped for tomorrow night. Um, I realize this isn't a promo for it because it's coming out after. But I was about to be like, so people got to be there. But, I mean, by the time they hear this, they'll be like, oh, yeah, it was okay. But, um, but there'll be another one. Oh, just kidding. There'll be lots more. But I'm just I'm so excited. But at the same time, there's always, yeah, there's always that, like, intimidation or fear of like, okay, what am I forgetting? What have we not prepped? What if this breaks or that falls or I fall off the stage, which has happened before. Um, 
you know, what if something like that happens? That's what's always racking in my brain, you know. But I'm just, I think my excitement is outweighing my fear at the moment, which can be a good thing and also be a bad thing that it means I'll forget to do something that I should be doing. But I think student ministry is tough in the sense that momentum shifts. You know, teenagers are finicky, and all it takes is one, one influential student going, I'm not going, that's lame, for that to spread and then you're dealing with that. You know what I mean? And I think that's where student ministry is maybe different than adult ministry. I don't know. Maybe that happens with adults too. But for student ministry in particular, it's so hard to walk the line of being the place where students want to be and the place that is appropriate for them to be. Does that make sense? Like where we're actually going, hey, we're not going to like come down so hard on you that you don't want to be here, but we're also going to hit you with the truth of who Jesus is and his plan for your life. And and I, I just find that always to be really difficult of like, we have no idea who's going to show up. We have no idea. Yeah, that's and that's kind of the me being new as well as what we talked about before, the absence of six months of COVID craziness and all that stuff. But it's also really exciting to me because I know we were talking about the bigger, the better and craziness and all that kind of stuff. But for me, it gives us an opportunity to, we don't, I don't think we have to reboot because I don't think there's anything horrible. But like, I'm excited to just continue to create a culture where What's drawing students in? What's drawing parents to want their students to be here? What's drawing students to go to their friends and go, man, you got to be here? It's not necessarily that we have a big crazy night, which, by the way, I'm all for. Those, th- those nights are a blast. But it's instead, like, you got to come check this out because there's just this group of people who, there's this community, and they just, they love me, and I feel like I belong, and I'm valued, and there's just something here you got to come check it out. Like that would be my hope is when we do these nights that are more outreach focused, like, Hey, let's bring some kids who might not have ever been to church or might know nothing of Christ church that when they step in here, it's not just like, man, I had a blast, but it's instead I had a blast. And there's these adults and these group of students who like, there's something different. There's something about them. That's just causing me to want to come back. And, and then we get to be like, yeah, it's Jesus. That's the spoiler alert. It's Jesus. (laughs) Um, and that's kind of what we want to create, I think, at least in my mind, is a culture like that. Where, Because I remember having a conversation with a student pastor. I had just got my job in Cincinnati and had no idea what I was doing. And I sat down and had lunch with him. And I remember him telling me back in the day, probably you were probably this, John, in the 90s, you were just so cool and so trendy. And that was why, you know, people were like, man, youth pastors have got to be cool. They got to be trendy. They got to be the, the cunning yeah, no, I've never been that. <laughs> I was like, I need to see a picture of John being cool and trendy in, in the 90s. I was trying to hype you up. Um, but like, that's, I remember that time, like, oh man, they were cool. And it's like students today can get that literally a million other places, um, from a million other people who are way cooler than I will ever be on YouTube, you know? And so instead of just going for how can we be super cool and trendy, it's instead like, how can we be relevant, but how can we be a community that loves them? Like, like they've never experienced before and it's because of Jesus. So man, student ministry, woof. I'm excited for you, Dan. Yeah, I mean, I I, I, I want to hang out a, just a, another question or two on this last six or seven months because we haven't been doing student ministry. We I don't even really know, you know, like where is your average student at right now? You know, I mean, so much has changed in our culture in the last six months. Everything's accelerating. Um, the divide between everything that's happening is getting bigger and bigger. Like, I, I, I don't even tend to know where a student shakes out and all that, you know, like, do you have any, do you have any thoughts? Like, where is a student emotionally, um, spiritually, even as a result of what they've experienced? Well, I think most of the time where students have been at is, is online. 
in some way, shape, or form. That's the just which is terrifying. The, the short version of it, right? Is <laughs> they've been on TikTok or Instagram or Snapchat or YouTube. That's just where they've been living, um, and it's kind of where they've had to live, obviously, like most of us. But to me, it shows. I bet you we have a bunch of students. I mean, students are all different. They're going to vary across the board, of course. But to me, like a majority of them are going to be maybe not even craving it, but going to be neat. They need a community. You know what I mean? Like they need people who love them and care about them because this idea that we can, we can connect with people online. We can connect through social media in a great way, but it's not going to be a way that satisfies. Like I feel like our soul, the way we're made. Um, and so I feel like they get this, not that it's a fake connection, but they get this not a connection. That's just not good enough online and they might think that that's good enough but there's really just something hurting in them there's something deep in them that it's like it's not a true real connection and so that's what we want to be able to give I mean I want to be able to help students understand like you need to be a part of this kind of family and this kind of community I think as opposed to thinking that TikTok is enough you know what I mean because it's just not the likes on your Instagram page aren't going to satisfy your soul the the birth of social media not ruined student ministry by any means, but it made it so challenging. And and the more into technology we get, the harder it gets because students are getting their value from this highlight reel of their life that they're presenting and the highlight reel of everyone else's life that they're that they're seeing, and they're comparing themselves to that. And I think that is why in-person student ministry is so significant because it's not a highlight reel. It is real life. It's real adults standing in front of you going, I know you've been, I know what you've been through. I've been there too. Let me walk with you through this thing. And you just can't do that online. And so figuring out in light of COVID and social distancing and stuff, how to do both of those things of be where students are, which is online. That is the reality of it. But also giving them something that is real and authentic and is not a highlight reel, I think is the big challenge of student ministry right now. How do you do both? Yeah, students can so easily see when someone's not genuine. Absolutely. Except I feel like they might not be able to see that on a social media. Right. Like in person, it's a clear cut. Yeah, this person's super fake and I'm going to tune them out. But on social media, we tend to have a, we just have a tough time doing that on Instagram, seeing this guy's Photoshop picture and thinking that's not real. Right. So, yeah, I think just being genuine, I think that's so, so important and so needed. They just have so much thrown at them online. I mean, that, that expectation of perfection, the moral decay. <laughs> it's just so much. I mean, I mean, I have a six-year-old, so I already like lose sleep over what is it going to be like when she's a teenager? Like, what are the things we're going to be battling at that point? Because already it seems like it has changed so much and the moral line has gotten so further away from who we're supposed to be and who God has called us to be. That it's like, man, how do you how do you look a teenager in the eye and go, hey, the number one song in the country right now, it's disgusting and it's awful and it's degrading. Don't listen to it when it's the number one song in the country right now. Like, what do you what do you do with that? Or when it shows up in so many other places rather than right. just listening to the song. I bumped into it on TikTok. On, I, was I was watching something it. somebody showed me and I bumped into it. I was like, you've got to be kidding me that this is, I didn't even go looking for it and I heard it and I have the sense to go, oh, let me turn that off. Teenager, I mean, what do they do? They're just up against such a big fight. Yeah, and, I, and now, and I'm thinking back to the mid '90s again. Going, all right, well, we didn't have to deal with any of this. Nobody had a phone, you know, no, let alone a smartphone. We didn't have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We didn't have any of the things that we have going on right now. We 
we barely had cable TV, you know, so we didn't even have all those options. Just none of this stuff existed, so we didn't know about things that were happening either as much. So our biggest concern was, hey, at the beginning of tonight's youth meeting, there's a bucket over there. Put your pager in it. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so, so you're not messing with it all during youth group, you know. Did you have a pager? Did I? Yeah. Yeah, I did. What color was it? It was uh, It was clear. I was going to, that's amazing. Yeah. It was clear. My view on the pager was like, it's different than the cell phone or even the text because... Nobody knows if you ever got it, and you call back at your convenience. It was actually a pretty cool tool. We should bring those back. Bring back the pager. I'd like to be paged and can answer on my own own time. Yep. So there's a lot definitely to figure out. And, you know, how do we minister to students right now in the midst of what's happening in our world? How do we minister to students in the midst of the culture that they're experiencing and growing up in? In person seems like a perfect opportunity to do a lot of stuff, but then also we got to figure out how do we invade the digital space to become a missionary in places where they're already hanging out, and then how do we bring parents in who are the primary disciple makers of their kids, and in the end, not to oversimplify, but how do we produce a student who goes onto campus at Valdosta State and decides what they're going to do on Sunday morning or Sunday night or whenever that that time is offered, uh, are they prepared for that? So huge undertaking, Absolutely. huge undertaking. But Dan, you're not alone on this one here that uh, we value student ministry. We're going to make sure that you have what you need. We're going to go after students in the same way that we go after other kids and families in our community and just try to provide an experience where people can meet Jesus in a way that makes sense, that provides what they're looking for, and in the end, just revolutionizes our county. So glad that you're here. Absolutely. It's me too. Me too. Yeah, two two big fans right here. I get. I mean, I'm, probably because we used to be in student ministry, but student ministry is tough, and a lot of people don't know that the amount of you're juggling parents, you're juggling students, you're juggling all the things you just mentioned, online content, you're juggling all that. And so, a couple of big fans of yours right here. But I think that's one reason why I was so excited to be able to be here was to know. It's not like a, all right, dance here. Good luck, buddy. See you later. Like, it's a, hey, I know that there are people down the hall from me who I can go to and probably have already gone to enough that you guys are like, Dan, leave us alone. But, and I can ask questions and I can ask opinions and I can have support and have people around me. That's, I mean, that's one reason why I was so excited to be here. And I'm still excited to be here and excited to see what God's going to do. And that if it was just me, this would not go well. And so I'm excited to be able to do it with you guys and then to be able to, do it with the awesome volunteers that we have. So one of the things we used to do back in the day, and it's actually a real game now called Would You Rather. I thought, let's let's close out today's episode with some quick fire Would You Rathers for Dan. Yes. He has not seen these ahead of time. So right. let's go with first quick response, okay? okay? And if we need to double click on something, we'll do that. All right, Dan, would you rather live without music or movies? Music. Without music. Which, as All soon right. as I say that, I almost regret it. But I just, <laughs> I love movies. I love a good movie. Favorite movie of all time? That's so hard. It's hard to say of all time. The movie that I've watched the most that I still I love is Glory Road. Okay. I think I watched Glory Road like once a week in high school. It's a basketball movie, in case you don't know. Um, I, I love that movie. Glory Road. So mine would have been Hoosiers. Mm-hmm. So similar. Different time period, but... The basketball movies are the best. Oh, my word. They're so good. Great legends of the game in film. Can I admit something to you? 
I've never seen Hoosiers. I haven't either. Well, we're going to correct that. I'm all for remedy it. that. I would, I would like to. I just, remedy I just realized that. like I haven't seen it. I don't know why. We're going to remedy that. All right. Would you rather read someone's mind or predict the future? Both are terrifying. Read someone's mind. Read someone's mind. I like it. Free Starbucks the rest of your life or free Netflix, Hulu, and Prime? Free Netflix, Hulu, Prime. But you do love a good coffee. Oh, I love Starbucks. Yeah, I love a good he coffee. He steals them from my office. It's fine. I sure do. Yeah, he doesn't I, need Starbucks. Allison's supporting my coffee habit right now. So. I love it. Would you rather be on Team DC or Team Marvel? DC. I love yeah. the Marvel movies, but Batman, Superman, Flash. I have no movies. idea what you guys are talking about. Let's hit a couple deeper ones. Would you rather have a rewind button on your life or a pause button on your life? A rewind. I think it works. It does the benefit of me getting to fix when I screw up but not and not just pause it and think about, oh, man, I really messed that up. Now we're going deep. Would you rather know how you will die or when you will die? How? If you know how, can't you avoid it? <laughs> I guess that was I my mean, motivation. My pause. thing was just, I don't want to be. It's like die by heart attack or. I just don't want to be like, could, like there's changes. my countdown. Yeah, I don't want to be like, oh, three days left. That's no. Let's give burn, burn to death or freeze to death? <gasps> freeze, because I'm always hot. Where did you come up with these? These are difficult questions. Michael Jordan or LeBron James? You better answer properly. We had this whole conversation the other day, and I'm going to get a lot of hate. If I'm picking my favorite, because oh, you so left what are the parameters? Like My favorite, I like LeBron James. Players? I like LeBron James more than I How like about this? Michael Jordan. It, let's stick with the question, would you rather be... Michael Jordan or LeBron James? That one, I might pick Michael Jordan just because then I don't have to live under the microscope. I know he lived under a 90s one, but I feel like LeBron James is under a social media microscope constantly, and I would not like that. I think this is a generational question. Well, there are better reasons to be Michael Jordan anyway. More championships. I mean, better basketball player. There you go. Better athlete. Oh, okay. Better looking. I mean, it just. I got weird. He does have more hair. Oh, wait. More shoes. He did, he did not. He was. Awesome. All right. Would you rather have Donald Trump as president or oh, Joe? No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Lord help us. <laughs> just and kidding. we're gonna wrap it up. Just kidding. Yeah, that's it. Hey, thanks for joining us today for episode two of the Wild Goose Chase podcast. All things student ministry. Thanks to our guest Dan Dodd for joining us today. We will catch you guys on the next episode. Hey, if you like what you heard or it was helpful to you, be sure to subscribe, give us a rating, leave a comment, share with a friend, and we'll see you for episode three. We're out. <laughs>